This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business, keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. House Majority Whip Steve Scalise joined the Washington Post to discuss the issues driving the 2020 campaign and why he believes President Trump is on his way to re-election. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Bob Costa, national political reporter at The Washington Post. Welcome back to Post Live's continuing coverage of the Republican National Convention. Our guest this afternoon is Representative Steve Scalise, the House Minority Whip, part of the Republican leadership, Republican from Louisiana. He joins us right now. Good to be with you. Hey, Bob, good to be with you. Uh, Representative, there's a lot going on in your own state this afternoon. Some Tough news with Hurricane Laura. Uh, what's the latest in your own district and how is Congress going to respond? Yeah, you know, we saw two storms coming in last week. You had uh, what ended up being Tropical Storm Marco, which was initially projected to hit kind of right around the west end of my district. And then you had uh, what is now Major Hurricane Laura, which was initially projected to hit around the east side of my district. And then, as we know, storms change over the days and Marco kind of fizzled out. Fortunately, but now Laura is a massive storm, category three, potentially a four when it hits ground. Uh, it shifted a lot to the west, so it's literally going to come in right at the Texas-Louisiana border. So, you know, my prayers are out for for my friends in Lake Charles and in in the Galveston area. There's definitely going to be a lot of storm surge. We're seeing in Lake Pontchartrain in my district some storm surge, you know, where the water levels are rising, but they're not projecting any house flooding or anything like that right now. Hopefully, we you know we say our prayers. Uh, but you are going to expect and see a lot of, of damage, wind and rain, uh, out in southwest Louisiana and southeast Texas. And then it's, it is a fast-moving storm, so it, it should be moving in and out pretty quickly, so at least it limits the damage. But there's going to be, you got to expect a lot of rain, a lot of flooding. And, and we've talked to FEMA. Uh, the president issued an emergency declaration that our governor requested on Sunday. So I know FEMA's been on the ground in Louisiana ready to go. And uh, shelters are already set up. I know a lot of people have evacuated to low-lying areas. And uh, the president's ready to help however he needs. And FEMA's ready to help uh, and have been working very well with our governor. I've been in touch with our governor and all of our local elected officials. And they're taking all the necessary precautions and making sure people know and are taking the storm very seriously. Beyond those executive actions and the executive branch, what about Congress? Are there any discussions among you and other Republican leaders about a possible relief bill for Louisiana and Texas at some point before the election? Well, right now we have checked the disaster relief fund and it's got uh, well over, there There will be at least $25 billion in the disaster relief fund, which is the first place that you go to when FEMA needs the resources to both come in at the beginning to help local governments prepare and evacuate people. And then if there is damage, whatever the damage is, clearly there will be damage in this storm. Uh, then FEMA's ready to step in and they have the money they need right now. Obviously, if they need more, we'll have that conversation and, and have to move legislation. But right now, uh, there there's over $25 billion in the disaster relief fund. Speaking of negotiations, what about COVID relief discussions? It was reported earlier today by Politico that Chief of Staff Meadows has at least made some kind of overture in some way to House Democrats. What exactly it is, it's not clear. Is there any behind-the-scenes activity that's notable and that you can share with us this afternoon? Well, Bob, there's been a lot of negotiations really for, for weeks now on different components. What I would like to see is us focus 
on helping families who are struggling, helping small businesses. Uh, you know, the, the Paycheck Protection Program is probably one of the most successful and effective programs Congress has put in place in, in relief packages that I've ever seen. I mean, millions of small businesses are still alive today because of that relief. Now, if you look, a lot of those businesses, and you know, I see the restaurants in New Orleans, you know, the customers just aren't back like everybody was expecting. Uh, in retail, a lot of retail stores, especially storefronts, are still experiencing because you know you might be at stage two at many states, not yet even stage three. So they're struggling as well. And, and some businesses are up. Grocery stores might be up 30%, but restaurants might be down 50%. And so what I'd like to see us do is go look at all of the money that's out there. I've already identified over $500 billion in relief package money that we pa passed in the CARES Act and other packages that are not spent yet, that are still out there. And for example, Paycheck Protection Program, there's over $130 billion still in that fund that can't be spent anymore because the program expired. I'd like to see us work on making that money more flexible so that you could have a second round, for example, for certain businesses. You pick a threshold, you know, maybe if you're under 75% or 50% of your revenue, you could go back and get another round of Paycheck Protection Relief. That would help a lot of these small businesses that are trying to figure out, will they even reopen? Uh, because that question is being uh, asked by a lot of these businesses. And unfortunately, we've heard some of them already say they're not coming back. We want to limit that. So I'd like to see us focus first on the money that's still out there. You know, states still have a lot of the $150 billion we sent them. Over half of that money is unspent. Let's make sure it's flexible enough, for example, to reopen schools safely. If schools say that they need sanitizer and masks, there's money available today for those needs. And if they need more, let's go back to the table and look at making that more flexible. So those are the kind of things I'd like to see us do. Obviously, we put a lot of money into vaccine development. You saw President Trump with Operation Warp Speed really putting all the weight of the FDA on working with the drug companies who are in stage three testing of vaccines. This is incredibly revolutionary scientific research that's being done, really because the president got red tape out of the way. Because sometimes, you know, they're not cutting any corners mm -hmm. on safety. They're testing over 250,000 Americans who signed up and said, we want to be part of the test. That's revolutionary, too, uh, because this is it's a new virus, but it's affected so many people. It's spread so widely that you have a lot of people that can be tested and want to be part of a test on a vaccine. And what the president decided was we're going to take some federal money, number one, help these companies right. that are at the stage three, but also start making the vials of the, of the vaccine today for those that have made stage three. Clearly, if they don't get approved by the FDA, all of those would get thrown in the trash can. However, if you got a drug approved today that's a vaccine that's proven, it, it actually stops the virus, you don't want to wait and say, okay, now let's start producing it. Maybe two months later, people could get it. Literally the next day after FDA approval, we're at a point where there will be vaccine available that next day for people who want to take it. The doc your doctor would obviously have to have that conversation with you. Uh, but uh, that, that's the kind of work that's being done. We put real federal money out there to get us to this point. And, and I hope that we're able to, to see an FDA approved vaccine or multiple vaccines in, in maybe the next few weeks. Let's turn back to the convention, uh, Representative Scalise. You spoke Monday. You offered a personal story uh, reflecting on the time when you were shot in 2017. Uh, why did you choose to have that message at the convention? Well, I want people to see the side of Donald Trump that, that a lot of people don't get to see. You know, I work with him closely on policy. And, and clearly, when you're in a meeting with him on policy, you know, whether it's the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act or you're working on a foreign policy initiative, he's very engaged. He seeks input from everybody. 
Uh, you better come to the room prepared because you know he's going to challenge. If you have an idea that that you want to see in the package, if you can make the case, then then he's very open to those kind of ideas, and he'll engage with you as well. But it's the human side of him. I mean, you literally get to see how much he cares about people and how much he fights for those forgotten men and women that that Washington had really left behind for so long. You know, when you see his rallies, why are so many people out there? Why why are there more people outside who can't get into the arena who just want to be there to see him? Because he's fought for those forgotten people. And, and I get to see it. And again, I shared the story when I was in the hospital. I mean, this is maybe the lowest moment in my life and, and for my family. They didn't know if I was going to make it through the night. And, and on his birthday, President Trump showed up with the first lady uh, to just come and see how I was doing that first night and, and to console my wife. I mean, it's incredibly tough for Jennifer. She she didn't know if I was going to make it and if our two young kids were going to have to grow up without a dad. And, uh, and, and so he would just call and just randomly check on me uh, throughout those next few months that I was in the hospital. Uh, and, and it's that side of the president that I, don't, I think a lot of people don't get to see. And, and, I, and I wanted to share that. When you talk to House Republicans or House GOP candidates, are you encouraging them to embrace President Trump as a symbol and in their own campaigns in terms of their literature and their message? Should they run as Trump Republicans this year? Well, first of all, when you're talking to candidates, you want to make sure that they're identifying what they stand for first, you know, and, and you have to run for a reason. And you're seeing these candidates, uh, some of them have military backgrounds, some of them have legislative backgrounds or business backgrounds. They're people that know what's at stake, that this is literally a fight for the direction of our country. Are we going to continue to be a country that believes in the individual freedom and fights for those free market principles where you control your own destiny? Or are we going to move towards socialism where government makes those decisions for you? That's what's at stake in the election. So the first thing you've got to do is identify why you're running and what you're going to do to help fight to make this country even stronger and more secure. And then obviously, President Trump, is, is the, he's our president. He's the leader of our party. And his agenda and the things that he's talking about are going to be things that you're going to have to have an answer for, whether you, know, whether you support everything that he's doing or not. You have to definitely answer. And I think, frankly, if you look at all of our candidates, they support what this president's done. They want to come fight with President Trump to rebuild this economy. He built it back once. We had the hottest economy in the world before COVID. Nobody denies that. Uh, and it was because of President Trump's policies. Well, if we get through this in these next few months, which we will, uh, we're going to have to rebuild that again. And there's nobody better suited than President Trump to do it. And frankly, these candidates want to be a part of that. So I, I don't see anybody running away from President Trump. Frankly, I see them uh, embracing the idea that we can work together to make this country even stronger. Representative, where do you stand on this QAnon issue? If a candidate has espoused any sort of support for it, uh, what do you believe the party should do? Well, you know, this is one of those issues where I had never really heard of it before uh, in the last few weeks, really, when, when some people in the media started asking about it. So I went and looked it up and look, I don't engage in these conspiracy theories. You get stuff emailed to you all the time. And and frankly, I'm, I'm focused on addressing the problems in front of us today and, you know, dealing with COVID, dealing with getting businesses back up, helping families get through these tough times. I don't get any calls to my office on that. So, you know, whatever somebody runs on or believes in, at the end of the day, it's 435 different districts. I serve with a lot of people with very different philosophies. Even Republicans that I serve with, we don't all agree on the exact same things. And you can see how that plays out on the Democrat side. Uh, they don't agree with each other on a lot of things. And, you know, you saw some incumbents. AOC literally took three sitting Democrats out in their primaries 
because she doesn't agree with her own members. So just because we're the same party doesn't mean we all agree on everything, but you have to work with everybody that's up here to achieve what you want. Some days this, the person on the opposite side of you of an issue is gonna be your ally on the next issue. And so what I've tried to focus on is, let's talk about the policies that are important to the hardworking families who elect us. I try to stay out of personalities. I don't engage in conspiracy theories. I deal with real world things that are facing us today. Right, I wasn't asking you to engage in it. It's just, it's a challenge clearly for member leaders in both parties. If you have candidates that, that are going to an extreme or to a fringe idea. So I was just curious about how you think that the party should handle that. I think, you know, when you talk about specific things, and again, you know, rather than being vague about it, if somebody says something inflammatory, if somebody says something racist, if somebody says something uh, bigoted, or, you know, the anti-Semitic views you see up here, uh, those are the times I speak out on both sides. If a Republican or a Democrat does something like that, I'll speak out. And I think everybody ought to speak out. But in general, you know, if somebody's got a different philosophy than you, that's, I, I try to respect people's differences. I try to work with people where I can help solve problems that get this country back on track. And, and there are a lot of problems we need to solve. And, and I enjoy working with this president on those problems that he wants to confront. And, and frankly, he's laid out a lot of really important things that, that he wants to deal with. He's already done a lot when you look at what he's done to create jobs. Bringing back jobs from China, Bob, is gonna be a big, big challenge before us in confronting them. And it's been tough because previous presidents, Republican and Democrat, let China just kind of do their own thing. And, you know, they were taking a lot of our jobs, but they steal a lot of our intellectual property. Right now, they're, we're working feverishly to create a vaccine for COVID. They're working feverishly to steal our vaccine for, from COVID. So, you know, we've got to confront that. And frankly, you saw what they did with PPE, for example. They hoarded all the PPE when they were lying to the world, saying it's not contagious, it doesn't right. transfer from humans. And so, we need a, why should we be relying on them? We couldn't get any PPE because they make almost all of it. So it hurt our doctors and nurses that we didn't have that capability in America. That happened over decades. President Trump said, let's bring those jobs back here. Let's make those products in America so that our national security is stronger. We don't have to rely on China for things that are important, like generic drugs. 90% of the ingredients in generic drugs are made in China. We need to bring those back to America. So I think you're going to see a big focus on that. And whoever wants to work with me and the president, to do that, I'm ready to work with them because that will solve a major problem for our country. So what is the first issue Republicans would want to tackle in 2021, whether or not you win the House majority? Uh, what, is it trade? Is that the issue? Voters are hearing a lot about President Trump's character, but on policy, what's the number one thing they should uh, expect Republicans to do in 2021 if they have power in any chamber? Jobs, Bob, it's, it's very clear. Look, if you look at, uh, you know, let's say we win the House back, which I think we will, President Trump gets reelected and we hold the Senate. The first thing we have to do is strengthen our economy. We already built the hottest economy in the world and we did it with smart conservative policy, lower taxes. We had the highest corporate tax rate in the world and we were losing some of the best companies in America who were leaving to go to those other countries. Why would we want to give our jobs away? So we said, let's lower our taxes. We didn't want to be average. We came down to now one of the most competitive tax rates in the world, but the best place to do business in the world. And because of that, we're bringing jobs back to America. COVID has definitely interrupted the whole world supply. I mean, global demand is down for everything. Uh, and that's because there's shut-ins all across the world. That's going to eventually end. We're gonna start getting back out again. We'll have a vaccine and then we will confront and beat this. Then we have to rebuild the economy. So that's gonna be front and center. Clearly getting through COVID, but I think before January, 
we will have at least one, if not two vaccines approved. And so you're gonna continue to work on global pandemics, but you need to rebuild the great economy that we had. We need to continue rebuilding our military. President Trump put a real focus. We were losing men and women in uniform more to deaths in training, Bob, than in combat. When President Trump took office, by a five to one margin, you had a higher likelihood as a military service member of dying while training than if you were in Iraq or Afghanistan. That was because they weren't providing them with the proper tools to do their job safe. President Trump said, we're gonna fix that, and we started to. And we made tremendous progress in rebuilding our military. We raised the pay for our men and women in uniform. And so we're taking care of our troops. We can't lose that ground either. Continue to strengthen America on trade, obviously confronting our enemies uh, like China is something right. the president's already started. Then you look at what he's doing in the Middle East, for example. We just got an agreement that President Trump helped broker between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. That's the first time in 25 years that a Muslim country has said, we want to have normalized relations with Israel. It's a major development. And there are other countries as well. I've talked to the UAA, the UAE ambassador recently. I've talked to other ambassadors in other countries that want to sign on as well. Uh, so this is something that President Trump's provided incredible leadership. And it's because he stood up to Iran. In the Middle East, they do not want a nuclearized Iran. And look, Joe Biden helped that policy where Iran can get a nuclear weapon. No Middle Eastern country wants to see that. And so now they're, they're now actually signing up agreements with Israel. It's revolutionary uh, that President Trump has got us in the position, but there are a lot more of those kind of victories we can achieve in foreign policy as well. So I think you'll see all of those addressed, but clearly jobs uh, tackling COVID will be front and center. What about the Postal Service? Uh, House Republicans so far have been reluctant to work with the House Democrats on their package to provide additional funds. One, why is that? And is there any chance Republicans in the House get behind more money for the Postal Service in the coming weeks? Well, the first and most important thing to recognize, and, and the Postmaster General himself testified under oath, they've got more than enough money to operate through the middle of next year. If we don't give them another dime, uh, which you know we're going to have an appropriations process in October, but if they didn't get another dime, they have more than enough money to run through the middle of next year, and they will have all the capabilities to carry out a safe and fair election. If there there will be, you know, whatever the percentage is, maybe 25% of all all votes will be cast by mail. Uh, we we shouldn't be just mailing ballots to anybody on a roll legally or illegally. That's a concern. But if anybody wants to request a mail-in ballot, the post office has said they have everything they need today to ensure that those uh, those uh, ballots are delivered uh, through the mail through the postal service on time. In fact, they have the ability to get an additional 10 billion dollars in loans from the federal government that they can't even access right now because they have too much cash in the bank. Under the terms of the, they can't even get the money until they drop below 8 billion. They've got about 12 plus billion dollars in the bank. I know a lot of businesses today who are about to fold because they don't have any money in the bank. And Speaker Pelosi wouldn't bring us back to solve that problem. So she's trying to create this issue. Look, the idea that the post office has problems, is that really the first time you've ever heard it? We've been hearing that for decades. President Trump's been trying to make reforms but they've already said they have more than enough money to do the job through the middle of next year. This idea that they're going broke and they're gonna fold uh, is a hoax. It really is, and they've said so themselves. They literally can't take the money that we gave them. If we gave them 25 billion tomorrow that Pelosi wants to give them, borrowed from China, by the way, uh, they can't even use it because they've already got enough money to run through the middle of next year. Uh, let's all put the facts on the table. Those are the facts. Do you have faith in this election process that it will have integrity in November? 
if we if we stick to the the rules of the game, then yes, this idea that we should change the rules, you know, and, and block states, for example, Pelosi wants to do this. She wants to block states from allowing picture ID. In Louisiana, we you can request an early ballot, you can vote early for two weeks prior to the election. I think about a fourth or more of all votes will be cast before election day. But the integrity of the vote is important. If I vote legally and somebody else is allowed to vote illegally because they require you to do same-day voter registration, which has a lot of problems, and they take away the ability to have picture ID requirement, uh, that is ripe for voter fraud. We don't want to see that. In Louisiana, we put an election commissioner in jail when I was in the state house because he stole elections and he went to jail for it. And we cleaned up that office. We, we should not go back to those days. So you know, for people that don't think there's voter fraud, I'll show you where it was. And I'll give you the name of the guy who went to jail for it in our state. Uh, and so let's not go back to those days. Let's have a fair and free election. Uh, this idea that you should change the law to make ballots, millions of ballots just be out there on the streets, uh, mailed to people who moved or to who are not on the on the rolls legally, and then tell a, a state they can't even require picture ID. Uh, that's not the direction we ought to go. The Washington Post, if you're watching this, has had extensive reporting on mail-in voting. I would encourage you also to look at our reporting on uh, voter fraud. And we've reported that there's not evidence of widespread voter fraud. Representative Scalise, when you I'll look at the you map- I'll show the cases. What happened? I'll show you what happened in Louisiana. No, Again, we, I, I, I take your anecdotal points. Uh, Representative, when you look at the map, you said that you could win back the House majority. Uh, where exactly do you think you could win this fall? Uh, where is that path to the majority, in your view? Yeah, the path is really through those districts that President Trump won two year, four years ago. Uh, so there's about 30 congressional districts that are held by Democrats today that Donald Trump won four years ago. And when we went back and looked at the data, look, the people that were against President Trump showed up two years ago. There were about 8 million voters who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 who just didn't show up in 2018. And obviously that cost us in a lot of those races. Most of those were 51-49 races, so very close races. And we need to flip 17 seats to win the House back. And to get to those 17 seats, you start in the 30 districts that Donald Trump already won four years ago. Clearly, if the people that voted for him four years ago show up again, he's going to win. And I think they will show up because they love what he's done. He's fought for those, those forgotten men and women. He's delivered for those forgotten men and women. And if they show up, he wins re-election, but then that helps us in those 30 seats. In addition to that, there are about 15 seats held by Democrats that Hillary won by one or two points. Very close races, swing districts at a time where you had much lower Republican turnout. So you get higher Republican turnout, there's going to be high Democrat turnout. We have no doubt about that. Uh, but the drop-off two years ago was on the Republican side. I think you're going to get back to a high turnout on both sides. That benefits uh, Republicans, that benefits Donald Trump, and that's our path to getting the House back. And we have great candidates, by the way in these seats. I mean, you can look seat by seat, uh, just incredibly high quality people that are running that are going to add a lot to this country, make this country even stronger. You've said recently that Vice President Biden supports defunding the police. Biden himself has said that's not the case. Uh, how are Republicans going to handle this issue moving forward? Well, the problem with Joe Biden's recent comments is that just a few days before that, he's on video he was asked by a left-wing person, I think, uh, would he be for defunding the police? And what Joe Biden said was he would be for reallocating money away from police. Now, if you really think people are foolish enough to, to, to buy the difference, I mean, 
Do you really think if I'm going to reallocate money out of your bank account, I have defunded your bank account? So Joe Biden said on video he's for reallocating money away from police. Right. But Anybody who reallocation thinks that's not different defunding than defunding, different. reallocating away and defunding are the same thing. So if he's going to take – you're taking money away from police. If you're reallocating money away from police, look up the definition. It's the same thing. So he's trying to play both sides of this, and he got caught. And look, I mean, pick a side. Donald Trump's been very clear. He stands for law enforcement. If there's a bad cop, if there's a dirty cop, go get rid of that dirty cop. And by the way, Chauvin, who killed George Floyd, who murdered George Floyd, shouldn't have been on the streets. He should have been removed a long time ago. Go take a look and research who the first person was that let Chauvin off when he was a dirty. It wasn't the first time he was a dirty cop killing George Floyd. He had multiple encounters where he crossed the line, and Minneapolis wouldn't remove him, and the prosecutors never took him out. Go see who the prosecutor was that let him off. If they did their job, George Floyd would be alive today. Root out the dirty cops, but to tar every single cop and act as if they're all dirty is just a, a lie. The idea that you should defund them or reallocate money away from them is dangerous. You will make them less safe. Every good cop ought to have the right to be able to go home at night and see their family. And they're under attack. You've seen it. Look, how many cops have been bludgeoned, beaten, murdered, and blinded in these last few weeks? I mean, just two days ago, a cop had a brick thrown at his head and was unconscious. This is happening every day in our streets. They ought to be able to protect themselves as well. And so, look, this is going to be an important issue. The safety and security of families in their home is critical. And President Trump has been very clear that he's for keeping communities safe. And these mayors that want to let their towns be burned down by mobs, uh, I don't know why they, they, they let that happen, but President Trump doesn't want it to happen. And he's not going to support defunding or reallocating money away from police. It's the same thing, and it's wrong. It's a dangerous approach. I understand your point about the violence, but what's your message as a leader in Congress to peaceful protesters on the racial justice issue who look at what happened in Wisconsin and wonder if Washington's going to respond, what's your answer to them? Well, the first thing is that needs to be investigated as it is being investigated. Uh, but if you talk about peaceful protests, I strongly support peaceful protests. Look, I, I marched arm in arm with John Lewis across the Edmund Pettus Bridge a few years ago. It was a moving, emotional experience. We just lost a giant. John was a, was a friend. He, you know, he and I might not have agreed with each other on every issue, uh, but he believed in peaceful protests. And look, when he, when he was the head of SNCC, that was the student nonviolent uh, committee that he headed up back, back when he and Martin Luther King Jr. were marching and, and protesting against racial oppression, there was a split. There were some who said, let's go the violent route. And he adamantly said no. And then they, there was a division within the civil rights movement. And he clearly uh, supported the same MLK approach of nonviolence and, and still preached that to his death. And, and that's the approach we all ought to take, this idea that, you know, if you feel that you can just go and, and burn down a building uh, because you don't like what's happening, that's not, that's not the way our system works. Go fight for justice peacefully the right way. That's how we've gotten change that we've gotten. I mean, John Lewis, because of what happened to him and, and, and the way that people saw what happened to him, that really did help change this country for the better uh, because, you know, he, he really did spark a movement. And, and George Floyd sparked the movement, but let's take it the right way. Don't, you know, it's, it shouldn't be taken to condone violence. It should be taken to address police brutality and rooting out dirty cops. That's where the focus needs to be. And I think Tim Scott had a really good bill that he worked with, with Pete Stauber, who was a cop, by the way, in, in Minnesota, 
uh, and then they came to Congress and they worked on really good reforms that that will address that problem, not you know tainting every cop as a bad cop, but going after the dirty cops. Representative Scalise, uh, I first got to know you as a reporter when you were running for whip years ago. Uh, and so I, for the final couple minutes here, just put on my congressional reporter cap. Uh, if regardless of whether the Republicans win back the House or not, are you personally planning to run for the whip position again this fall? You know, we I guess we had this issue two years ago when when we were in the majority and everybody was trying to speculate who's going to run for which seat. And I was very clear back then, you know, our focus needs to be on getting the majority back here. Two years ago, we were trying to hold the majority, obviously, for a lot of reasons, uh, especially the, the big drop in, in turnout on our side. We lost the majority. So anybody who thought they were going to run for something, uh, you know, the world changes. You don't know where it's going to be in November. My main focus right now is doing my job. I understand. Job, but do you like, do you like, the lead, do you like being back. in the leadership? Do you like being in the leadership and would you like to continue to serve at some level? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm honored to have this position as the Republican whip. And, you know, it definitely takes a lot more responsibility, but it also gives me the opportunity to battle even harder for the things I believe in that try to fight for the conservative values I believe in. And I want to still do that if, if my colleagues uh, would have me. Uh, but I've always said, do your job, focus on your job. Uh, the rest will take care of itself. If you're worried about the next thing, you can go look at all those people that, that have a job today and they're trying to get somewhere else, they're not doing their main job and it doesn't turn out well. I just thought after covering that Speaker Ryan experience, you always need to check in once in a while with congressional it's, it's leaders a, and ask where their heads are. It's always a question to, to ask, but uh, you know, I, I really do love this job. It's, it's challenging times now. Like I was a state representative during Hurricane Katrina. We dealt with incredibly challenging times then. And you know, what, what I learned then is when you're in the middle of a crisis, just keep your head, listen to smart people, and make the best decisions you can and help as many people as you can. And, and that's what we're doing right now. And, and let's get through this. And when we get through it, I think we're going to be an even stronger country. Representative Scalise, appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks for being here. Bob, always great to be with you. Good seeing you. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.